0: Hey guys, sorry for the technical glitches. This is Viz from Dead Talk Live. Uh, I don't know what happened after we, that, you know, that T-Dog death scene was so devastating that my entire software decided to crap out. Anyway, guys, I want to welcome our very special guest tonight, Irony Singleton, who played T-Dog, our beloved Theodore Douglas on The Walking Dead, irony thank you welcome and damn you are a patient man for having to wait through that and just it's thank you so much for being here tonight how you doing i am wonderful thank you so much for having me hello
1: guys how's everybody hope you're doing well everybody
0: oh man and everybody again my apologies as you guys have been watching me every day of course this happened tonight you know <laughs> with irony like I said, it didn't like that death scene, the way T-Dog went out on The Walking Dead. <laughs> so uh, irony, man, I, got, I love asking this question to the cast members who were on The Walking Dead from the very beginning like you were. How did the atmosphere on the set change from season to season all the way up to season three?
1: Oh, man. Well, we were, <laughs> you know, we were kind of, we came back for season two. You know, we had to get the dirt off our shoulders a bit, you know, because the show had taken off. It was like it was season one. We were just working another job and it was like, OK, got another job, got another paycheck. That's fine. That's cool. Hopefully we'll have 15 or 20 people to tune in and watch a show about zombies. And, and when we opened and when we premiered, we debuted at six point four million or something. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. So. So when we got back to the set, we were just kind of feeling ourselves a little bit like, this is awesome. And then season three, it just seemed like we were, you know, we were just, we were family. We had bonded. Um, for me, I think the, the bonding happened really, really early on in season one. But it seemed like
0: we just had been knowing each other for a long time. Season two, when we came back, but Yeah. It just felt like, you know, by season three, I mean, by uh, by a lot of people's standards, season three is like the best season of The Walking Dead. And it had reached like its peak viewership uh, and it continued it for several years on 15 million to 20 million per week, man. That's crazy. That was and that's how that happened during season three. Yeah, well, it had reached its its biggest uh, viewership between three and five, where it was averaging 15 to 20 million per week. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Now, when they were trying to cast uh, the, you know, trying to find the original members, you know, who's going to start this show off, right? We've Mm -hmm. heard stories of people reading for different roles. Was it the same for you, or did you know that you were auditioning for uh, T-Dog?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I knew I knew I was auditioning for T Dog at the very beginning. Because I mean, you know, they did that when the show got hot. Yeah. So when, you know, people knew about the show, so they couldn't give it away to the people that were auditioning. So um, you know, it was a sneak attack for them. But for me, starting out, it was like, Yeah, T Dog.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah, Lou Temple
1: said, I heard Lou, Lou Temple, I think you interviewed Lou Temple. Yeah,
0: yeah, we've had him on.
1: I think he said he was reading for T-Dogs. And yeah. He, I think he said he auditioned for T-Dog or something, right?
0: Yeah. And uh, practically everyone from that season one read for Daryl. I mean, oh, yeah, really? Yeah, you know. It finally landed on Norman, but John Bernthal read it. I mean, uh, every guest I've had from season one told me that they were reading for Daryl or Merle. Okay? Oh, yeah. And... uh it, it didn't it, they just you know they said that uh you know michael Rooker, who we're going to get to a question with him here soon he had the more edgier to be the bad brother of the two you know what i mean and yeah. they they, they settle i mean that didn't settle michael rooker is awesome as merle and they gave daryl the you know the character like your character who wasn't in the comic books to norman Reedus.
1: Right. They um I think what Rita said that I mean they loved Rita, so they wanted to to put to have him in there. So they created the role of Daryl for Rita's, yeah. if if I understand correctly, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, but was Merle a, an original in the comics?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll be, yeah, was Merle, Merle was in the comics. Daryl was not. They wanted to put in this extra character in Daryl. They just didn't know what to do with him, right? They didn't know how mm-hmm. exactly they wanted that character to play out from all the stories that I've heard. They weren't quite sure if they were going to make him a bad guy or this or that. Uh, you know, finally they settled on Daryl and Norman being his brother. Mm-hmm. And well, Ten years later, man, the dude's still going strong on the show, so yes,
1: he is. thank God for Daryl, right? <laughs> um, yeah, man, they did a little bit of everything with with uh with Daryl, right because he's bad, he's good, he's awesome, he's just all of that all into one
0: exactly. So he's been cool. up and down that character roller coaster ride now, let's move on in season one, episode two guts. This is a time where you and Merle share that famous uh, rooftop scene, okay, played Mm -hmm. by Michael Rooker, who's awesome, you're awesome. What was it like working with Michael Rooker on such an emotionally intense scene? Well, first of all,
1: I was working with uh, a legend, so I consider him a a living legend then. So I was just excited to put my, my acting chops to work against somebody that I highly respected in the industry. I was like, okay, now all these years of training that I've gotten, now I get to, you know, go uh, toe to toe with, uh, with Michael Rooker. So I had a lot
0: of admiration for him and I was just excited to do the scene. That's awesome. Now, you know, staying with that rooftop scene, Merle had some pretty hateful uh, words and exchanges as an actor, man. How do you mentally prepare for a scene like that, highly emotionally charged. Do you have any kind of tricks that you do or what? Um, highly emotionally charged. I, I grew up
1: um, about, I spent 18 years, my first 18 years were in the project. So I think that that was like a highly emotionally charged environment. So, <laughs> so Highly emotionally charged is not really something that I really have to work hard for. Gotcha. Um, it, 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 that was just a part of my experiences, a lot of experiences that I had that just prepared me for that. You know, some people are just naturally inclined towards certain things. And um, that was just one of my natural inclinations to to get charged like that.
0: Now, yeah, my was a football player. Gotcha. Gotcha. Totally yeah, understand. Absolutely. Now, yeah. from what are you know, from what you took away from Michael Rooker, playing the racist you know obviously he's not a racist he's a great guy how did he handle that interaction with you did he do you guys have a talk before or afterwards about it or you know how you guys are going to play it out on the screen or mm-hmm. anything like that
1: not really not, i mean we, we had a little conversation about that but we just talked about general stuff but not necessarily that part maybe you know we worked on the kick or something like that but yeah. he's so accurate you know he put that kick like right near my face was it my face or wherever and he was perfect every time
0: so you guys uh, didn't so- have stunt doubles or anything like that no no oh, damn so you no, got- season
1: one we, we don't have any money <laughs> <laughs> there's no money it's like no but i look forward to doing my own stunts and i'm sure Rooker looked forward to doing his own stunts too so um, but we we had to measure that. His measuring it was perfect every time. So we worked on that probably more than anything else. Probably more so than the dialogue and all of that stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, that's kick ass. That is just kick ass. Now, um, when you know, what were the? Let's move over to season two. Okay, what were the emotions amongst the cast and crew when Jeffrey DeMunn, who played Dale, left the show? Oh
1: man, it was somber. It was it was somber because you know it was revolving. That whole thing revolved around Frank Darabont.
0: I know I heard a story. He he wanted to go because he was upset of what happened to Darabont, and they yeah. wrote him off on his request.
1: Yeah. So. Um, I think that was part of what really brought us to that's what it was. Now you're taking me down memory lane, (laughs) but that's what it was. We had a meeting before we started shooting and we talked about, you know, that whole thing that we had a cast meeting and we talked about what was going on with Darabont and AMC and all of that stuff. And so it just brought us closer together. And then there was other stuff going on behind the scenes. And, and I think it was Sarah Wayne just coined the phrase, we are the Walking Dead, like basically us against the world. We're gonna we're gonna do this thing, and we're gonna make it happen. And
0: yeah, we bonded. We So, bunded so Sarah stepped up and became like you know the ra ra cheerleader and getting the group pumped up and stuff. That the show still has to go on. She went beyond the ra ra cheerleader. She's like the surrogate mom. Wow. She's
1: nurturing. You know, she's the mother on the set. So mm-hmm. she was very nurturing and caring and. Sarah's just uh, she's a she's a special person, and uh,
0: yeah, yeah, she she carried the torch. Awesome, awesome. Now, staying on season two, okay? At the end, the finale, when Rick is giving his big speech in the finale, how he killed Shane. He's had enough. It's either my way or the highway. This ain't a democracy. How much intensity? did Andrew Lincoln bring to that set on that particular scene? Um, I'm, I'm looking at your
1: sound meter or something like that on screen. I don't know if yeah. uh, that, yeah, the, the people watching, the audience can see it, but it was off the meter. <laughs> like, <laughs> you see, you had, there are three lines on the meter. Yeah. All three of them were at the max and beyond. So that's the intensity that Lincoln brought every to every episode. He'd pump himself up too, you know, lincoln has this thing that he does he, ha, 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 he he spazzes out every actor has a thing that they do to you know to take it to that next level and that was lincoln's thing he you know he just spazz out he just go crazy we're like okay he's getting ready
0: he's getting there oh that, great action that's awesome so you enjoyed watching him do his craft as oh, well he, oh that's, yeah that's awesome yes We're going to get back to The Walking Dead. I want to flip over uh, for a little while onto your acting school and your studio called Iron E School of the Arts uh, and the services you offer. Um, I'm going to bring up your studio's uh, website address right here so people can find it and screenshot it. Guys, there's the address. Screenshot it so you guys can check it out after the show. Very easy to remember, Iron E sa.com mm-hmm. uh let me also get started by showing some of the uh promotional stuff that you guys offer uh okay here's the headshot of uh of you irony singleton as t-dog kick ass a badass shot man badass <laughs> shot and here's the postcard that you guys have as well listing all the services including virtual personal training Coaching, auditioning, uh, taping. I mean, you guys offer a wide variety of service. And I want to ask you about a lot of those things that you guys offer. Now, um, your studio does, like I said, offers a ver- wide variety of service, from acting lessons to audition coaching. Share with us some more information, like, what is beyond that what is the irony school of arts about irony school of the arts just to sum it
1: up i say truth and love because um that is my mission in life that's my walk and like i told you i spent 18 years in in the projects my first 18 years here on this earth were uh, very um turbulent and to say the least and so when i lost my mom at 18 uh, god saved me from that because i was out there and i just was not caring too much about many things, but I had an epiphany. And God told me why I was here. And God said, it's to give truth and love to the world. And so this Irony School of the Arts is just an extension of that. So my students come in, I generally focus on that. And that's how we connect with one another. Because as an actor, you connect with an audience through that. If you're able to connect truth and love, you connect on a higher level. Mm -hmm. And that's what my teaching is. I try to Take it to that higher level, another plane, as opposed to being mundane on this level, because it's hard for us to communicate. You know, people yell and scream. When people are yelling and screaming at one another, through one another, it's on this plane. Yeah. But I I focus on taking us to this level right here. And it's all positivity. It's just a beautiful thing. And then I do a lot of psycho uh, analyzing too. So I bring that into it because as human beings, Um, you know, we have our backgrounds, we have our baggage and I try to focus on the baggage in order, you know, for us to fly, we got to be able to get that baggage, get that baggage off our shoulders, the stuff that holds us down. So I focus on that as well. And, um, and it gives you, it gives us an opportunity to kind of tap into that emotional aspect, which is called affective memory for us to be able to recall, you know, what we've been through in life, the stuff that just kind of, um, you know, gave us a lot of problems, the stuff that disturbed us in life. And if we're able to embrace that and deal with it, and be and and we're able to handle it as opposed to letting it handle us, then we'll be more effective actors too. So I kind of focus on that.
0: That's beautiful, man. That's absolutely beautiful. Uh, the thing that really caught my eye uh, when going through your website is the vir- the virtual sessions. Uh, how does that work, and how? effective do you find it as a teacher uh doing lessons virtually in this world that we live in today it's the world we gotta embrace it's the world that we have so how do you deal you know with it in on a virtual setting as opposed to an in-person uh student teacher relationship setting
1: i think that um the virtual setting is great because of COVID. um you know virtual is because if i do a live session now we'd have to keep our six feet well we're actually like 12 feet yeah because we're still learning about this COVID thing so Mm -hmm. it offers that safety and um you know we can still we still cover everything i still do i still teach the same stuff that i teach in person um so it's there's nothing really, really different about the virtual. It's just great to be able to have this act. see if 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 COVID had happened ten, fifteen years ago, then I'd be in trouble. We'd be in trouble because we wouldn't be able to do this. But it's great. Virtual's exactly. good.
0: And uh, I mean I you'd be surprised how many people in chats and in messages say, I wanna be on The Walking Dead. I'm like, Great, good for you. Are you an actor? <laughs> they just wanna be on The Walking Dead. And, you know, I'm like all right, are you an actor? I mean, if you get somebody who says, hey, and they're serious, they're not just, you know, playing around, what is the first thing before they even consider moving forward with this that they need to know about being an actor before even going forward?
1: Well, you have to know that it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not... you, You have to want to really... My purpose for getting into acting is I wanted to make the world a better place.
0: When I was
1: uh, 17, I wrote an essay for the I Have a Dream Um, essay contest. It was in commemoration of Dr. King's birthday. Uh And in my essay, I wrote that I wanted to be an acclaimed actor on the big screen so that I could save, uh, you know, so that I could, could serve as a role model for millions of people.
0: Gotcha. So
1: my thing was getting into it to be an artist and not to just make money. So I asked him, I asked, why do you want to act? And I you know, if they say, well, I want to get rich, I want to get paid. And I'm like, well, it may not be for you, but that's fine. Um, I, it's hard for me to kind of res- respect that. It's like you to do something for money. Yeah. Um, I do it because I love it. It's a hobby. And the, the money is cool, but I want to... I want to be happy in life first. I think that's the first thing. If you do what you love to do, then yeah. you'll be happy because I know many people that make a lot of money, but they're not happy because they're not doing what they want to do in life.
0: I totally. I, yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. So,
1: yeah. So I ask them that and they're like, well, I just, I, you know, I want to, to serve as an inspiration for people or, you know, I I like to make people feel something to... You know, do something positive in the world. And I think acting is a great platform
0: for that. Yeah, and I'm going to share with you guys, uh, before we went live tonight, uh, I told Iron e that I've been doing this show for 161 days straight. And oh. the look on his face was like, he's <laughs> like, you take weekends off, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> this is my like 161 straight episode right. and because I love it. Because mm. I love doing it. mm You know, that's why I do it. I love it. I love it. And yeah, it's no get rich quick with get rich quick scheme. Let me tell you that, you know, Uh, I don't care. I love doing what I do. And I totally, that's why I totally connect with what you're saying right there. Okay. If people want fame, fortune, and they think they're going to be like the next Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Angelina Jolie, you know, whatever, it ain't going to happen like that.
1: No, it doesn't happen like that. A lot of people saw me in the blind side and they were like, oh, wow, he came out of nowhere and not understanding that I have been doing it for 15 years Yeah. prior to that. Like they're, they're thinking, OK, overnight success or whatever. I started acting in 1993, 94. Mm-hmm. Um, Ninety five was the first thing that um, first project I did was fled with, um, you know,
0: Lawrence Fishburne oh. and
1: Stephen Baldwin.
0: Damn, Lawrence Fishburne, man! How did it feel yeah. being up against that legend?
1: Yeah, it was it was beautiful. I was a featured extra though, but that was back in '95, I
0: think. Oh, it doesn't matter. To be in the same room as Lawrence Fishburne is yeah. an honor. Legend, <laughs> legend, legend. legend. Yes, oh, mm-hmm. oh. So now I'm fascinated by acting. Not in the way that I want to be one myself. I just don't have that talent. But the complexities. <laughs> that are around acting you have probably seen a lot of students come and go through your studio is there something in particular that you see in a student uh, every once in a while that makes you say you know what there's something special in this uh in this kid woman man whatever that you uh-huh. see something like you see the potential the raw potential that's there
1: well, first of all, composure. I think that, you know, I generally see that they, they are well composed and um, they don't they, they don't. They don't let you see them sweat, basically. And I tell my students, say never let them see you sweat or whatever. But um, they just have the right composure and the right temperament. Also, um, I think that is huge. We have the right temperament, the right attitude. Attitude determines altitude. Um, And so when they're respectful, um, sometimes I meet people and they want to act, but they don't have the right attitude. They're like. The approach is wrong. Yeah. Let me me say let me let me put it like that. Just that's that's a kind way to put it. And um, but when you have the right attitude, then I think that I was like, okay, you can do it. Just like with you, like I could teach you how to act. Um, you, You got a great attitude. Um, I'd love to work with you. You know, that's the thing. But people have the wrong attitude. It's like they probably won't get far in this business because they'll turn a lot of people away.
0: God, I totally get that. I totally get okay. that. Now, acting is a profession where you got to deal with a lot of rejection. Okay, a lot of rejection. How do you teach your students to take that rejection and turn it into some positive?
1: Um, well, I think I spend... The bulk of the time talking about that, because if we embrace truth and love, I don't think that bothers us. I I think that if you're doing what you love to do, it doesn't matter anyways. Like with me, when I first started acting, I was like, even if I act 70 years and never get a big break, I'll be fine. So as long as you know why you're doing it, I think you'll be fine. The rejection means nothing. Um, So it's like I'm in it for the long haul. Um, and so I think that that's the approach. Now, if it's about money, that's a tough one. I can't teach them how yeah. to deal with rejection because you're in it to get rich quick. You want to get rich in, a, in, in a, not even a year. Yeah, You think you're going to start acting and be rich within the year or rich within five years or 10 years. It just doesn't happen that way. So as long as you have the right mindset. And that's what I focus on at i School of the Arts. I focus on the mindset. It's the truth and love aspect. You embrace truth and love. That rejection stuff means nothing.
0: What's your stance on persistence Uh, as far as, you know, uh, uh, actors, actresses that get knocked down or they say no, but they're like, you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep going for my dream. This is what I want to do out of pure love. Uh, From what you're telling me, that's the exact kind of attitude that you want to spread and have everybody to have. I think that's
1: that is the attitude. Not I think I know that is the attitude you must have. And it's interesting you mentioned persistence. Um, I was watching a video with David Goggins. They said that this guy did like four thousand pull-ups. Um, he he did like four thousand plus pull-ups in seventeen hours. Wow. So he may be the world's strongest man or something like that. But his favorite movie, I would assume, is Rocky because he talked about it yeah. um, in the video. My favorite movie is Rocky. Rocky. And one of my favorite lines in the movie is that I just want to show the neighborhood that I'm not just another bum. I I, I just want to prove to the world that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. And everything that I went through in life prepared me to be an actor. I graduated from college. When I graduated, I went 10 years without having an agent. 10 years. I couldn't get an agent, Viz. Wow. I, I couldn't get an agent. But I was doing what I love to do. I was still doing you know, low-budget projects and movies. I was doing theater, I was doing stage work, but I wasn't getting the big auditions because I didn't have an agent. Did it matter to me? No, I got a little discouraged here and there, but I knew I was in it for the long, haul. I was like, I'm gonna do this until I die. And then what happened was when I wrote my one-man show, which is called, it was called Irony the Resurrected, but then it later on became blindsided by The Walking Dead. Yeah. When I perform my show, Viz, I got a call from an agent and they said that they were interested in representing me. That's Chase Paris, who's won two Emmys, by the way. He's oh. doing the doggone thing. Yeah. Um, congrats to him on his second Emmy. And over at Howden Talent, he was at Howden Talent at the time, Misty and, and, and everybody over there. And they started representing me a few weeks, maybe a month or two later, I guess. I got an audition for The Blind Side and the rest is
0: history. Awesome. Now, since, so- since- since you brought up the the one-man show that you did you performed like 18 distinct different characters didn't you you know something i was
1: reminded that i performed over 20 characters uh
0: what what was that like what was that like i mean on a stage right this was live how do you how do you do that
1: no no do-overs there (laughs) There are no cuts and no, let's do it again, like film and television. But that's why I grew up. I grew up on the stage. Um, It was exhilarating because I was playing 20 plus characters and I got to jump out of this character to jump into the other one. A lot of people think when they hear one man show, they think. Like a stand-up comedy performance, Mm -hmm. a stand-up something, talking to the audience the whole time. No, I'm doing a play with just me interacting with different characters played by me. And I have a block and a chair on stage. That's my set. Um, I thought it was the most challenging thing. It's the most challenging thing I've ever done. When I was in college, an acting student, I was told that I heard an A-list actor at the time. I don't know who said it, Pacino or De Niro or somebody said, if you're able to do uh, Shakespeare, then you've arrived as an actor and you can handle it all. But then I grew to learn that for me, it was a one man show because in that one man show, I do do Shakespeare also. That is so so cool. Along with all of these other characters, and I'm on stage an hour, 45 minutes by myself. If you can hold the audience's attention for an hour, 45 minutes, then I think
0: um, you did your job. You did your job. Yeah, now, yeah. you know, you mentioned the title, you changed it over to Blindsided by The Walking Dead or something like that. Blindsided seems to be a term that uh, has some special meaning to you. Is that true? Or is it just a word that, you know, you resonate with? No, it,
1: you know, it's a combination of my two biggest projects, The Side and The Walking Dead. So Blindsided with The Walking Dead, I put those two together because The Blindside being the biggest sports movie beat out my favorite movie, Rocky. <laughs> So, which it's like, there's so many connections there. And then I added The Walking Dead to it. But blindsided, meaning um, I didn't see it, people didn't see it coming, basically. Me being in the biggest sports movie ever, me playing a role that could have very well been my life. It was my life story, but I could have ended up being that guy throughout, like even right now in Mm -hmm. this, you know.
0: I remember your uh, character very well in Blindside.
1: That was the type of neighborhood that I grew up in. But even where we shot that scene, I used to hang out in that neighborhood, Is Damn. When I was coming up, yeah, when I was a teenager, I used to hang out in Thomasville. It was that that neighborhood was called Thomasville Heights. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that's where I grew up. And so I was blindsided, and the world was blindsided because um, the pundit said that given my upbringing and what I went through and not having a father and and growing up in the projects and mother being an alcoholic and being on, you know, addicted to crack, that I would end up in a similar position or end up in prison or dead. So that was that's why I blindsided. Um, it's a pun, basically.
0: Well, I get it. I get it. And that's yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a great story. Now. All right. Let's go back to The Walking Dead. There was a great scene where your character T-Dog wanted to give Axel and Oscar an olive branch and trust them again in season 3. Uh but you were blocked by Rick and the group. Break that season down for us. You were like on the first 4 episodes of season 3 before T-Dog uh unfortunately passed. All right? Mm-hmm. Uh explain your interaction with Lou Temple who like you said was a guest on our show T Dog was the one that wanted to kind of let the prisoners in, give them kind of a second chance. Break down what was going in, what was going on in your mind in the, in those scenes that you were shooting. Yeah, Lou
1: and Vincent. I, ah, I love
0: Vincent them. Ward. Yeah,
1: those are my brothers. Those are my brothers. But I was looking at it from a, a realistic perspective because, like, we as human beings we need each other to survive. And, um, you know, if we can't rely on each other, then we're doomed anyways. You know, humanity is, is doomed if we can't, you know, rely on our fellow brother or our fellow sister. So to kind of push them out like that, kind of, you know, symbolic of, of, of real life when we just don't show each other love. And um, that's just not the way a society prospers. And so that was my thinking.
0: Yeah, and we're all, I mean, it was T-Dog also in the mindset, you know what? This is a new world. What they did in the old world, it doesn't really matter anymore why they were in prison, you know, drugs, whatever. This is a brand new world, and, you know, the old rules don't new- apply anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, but even in the old world, my, my thinking would have been the same because, um, you know, I, God that's god saved me when i was on my knees crying after i lost my mom i had an epiphany viz like you know god is this all-powerful being some people say well they may not believe in god or whatever but i believe in something much greater than we are
0: oh yeah so Um,
1: it's yeah you know and so when i was on my knees praying and crying and saying you know i'm tired of this life i've been through too much you know, end it all. I was angry and I was just dealing with so much stuff and God gave me an epiphany. And so, you know, God just gave me the message and told me that, you know, we're we're all in this thing together and we all deserve forgiveness. I was coming up in that environment. I grew up in a household with pimps, uh, hustlers, gangsters, the whole nine. I was the youngest one. So I kind of emulated what I saw. I became a product of my environment. I was a cheater, so um, all that stuff I did, even my girlfriend and now my wife, um, she displayed who is the greatest human being that I've ever known. Um, she displayed a level of forgiveness that could inspire Satan himself.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. And
1: so, you know, just by being around her and watching the example that she set for me for the last 32, 30 years. We met in the ninth grade. Wow. So I, I've learned a lot from her. Um, you know, she's really inspired me a lot. But everybody deserves forgiveness, whether they've been in prison, whether or not. But then also, even people that, that are in prison, some people are wrongfully convicted. Some people are in there for 10, 15 years just for, uh, you know, I mean, for two rocks, you know, yeah. crack yep. or whatever. So... We, I try my best to take all of that stuff into account. Um, we all deserve forgiveness, and we all deserve a second chance. And you, you funnel that into
0: your performances.
1: All, always, I think about my upbringing. Yeah. Uh, somebody asked me that before, and they were like, "Do you ever use your experiences um, or where you grew up as as motivation or as inspiration?" I'm like, all the time. Because if I want to get emotional, I just think back to what God brought me through. Yeah, I I, There you. were so many near-death moments, Viz, that that God allowed me to get through. I mean, of course, I had to think and, and make the right decisions because it's all about choices. God gives us the ability to make choices. We can choose to do right or we can choose to do wrong. And at certain moments in my life, I chose to do the right thing. So... Um, but yeah, I think about my experience. That's the effect of memory I was talking to you about, um, earlier. Uh, th- there is like a treasure trove of emotions, um, that, that I get, I get from my past.
0: Awesome. And uh, that's like, awesome. I, yeah. And it, you just draw strength on that. Now T-Dog was and will always be uh one of the favorite characters on The Walking Dead. Always. He committed the ultimate sacrifice, risking his life to save Carol in season three, uh, when the Walkers overran the prison. Uh did you feel like it was part of his guilt for what happened with Merle leaving it on the rooftop? Or was it just pure love and compassion for Carol at that time?
1: Love and compassion. I I, I yeah it was love and compassion which um, was dealing with Merle's situation too, because it's all intertwined. Gotcha. So that love and compassion tied into leaving Merle on the rooftop, tied into his love for the group, tied into his love for Axel and and uh, Oscar. So because we're all interconnected. You know, that's that's just uh, that's harmonious twinness. Yeah. Which stems from a a way of living called my And I I try to practice that because we're all one. We're one with not just humanity, but we're one one with nature, which, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get a handle on this climate thing. We have to understand that if we don't take care of it, it's not going to take care of us.
0: Yeah, totally get that. Now, next to Shane t Dog was the biggest member of the original group, the OG, like you guys say, okay, of Survivors, Uh, you know, and Dale as well. Uh, You went out as a hero. Let's say T-Dog survived. Would we see T-Dog the loyal follower in the years that followed, or would we see T-Dog breaking bad at some point? No, he's uh, he's
1: the loyal. <laughs> you, never, the loyal you never
0: player. thought of that, huh? T Dog Breaking Bad, maybe.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I never gave that thought. Um, no, T Dog's loyal to the end, um, and that's what I mean. That's who I. I think they they started writing for me during season 2 somewhere but definitely during season 3 because you know at the end you showed the clip where he said this is God's plan. Mm-hmm. He'll take care of me always has. Um I think the writer started channeling who I am as a person. And I'm big on loyalty. I I will I will die for loyalty. So that's just who I am and I think they're like, well, there's no way we're going to you know, send T-Dog in any other direction because we think that that's how irony would want it, perhaps.
0: (laughs) And, you know, you bring (laughs) up an interesting point that another one of my guests, and I'm forgetting who said the same thing, that after being on The Walking Dead for a while, this is what makes part of one of the greatest things about working on The Walking Dead, from what I've heard, is the writers actually start writing the scenes to the actor's strength, like the actor's personality, Uh, you know, with you, that scene, God is going to take care of me. And what you just said, you sort of confirmed it. The writers took a part of you and wrote them into T-Dog. I mean, I mean, what do you think? Is that normal in the industry or is that something like, like really unique to the walking dead?
1: Mm, um not I think it's um I think it's a little bit of both. I think yeah, you could find that across the board. I think that great writers understand that um you know where the the strengths lie. If somebody is naturally inclined towards um you know a, a certain demeanor or if they have a certain character it's just wise for a writer to just kind of focus on that because they'll they may get a better performance but as an actor it's easier to tap into it yeah like if i'm playing something that's totally uh remote from who i am i have to work harder to find that but Makes if i'm sense. playing somebody yeah if i'm playing somebody similar to i like i could get we could get an actor we could get somebody off the street and they maybe they've never acted never taken an acting class but we just say i just want you to be you like i wrote my first movie called white man black man jew man in 2007 and i wrote around the individuals that i wanted in my movie i wrote based on their personality that's based on their personality traits and ber- based on their personalities yeah. i wrote it specifically for them because some of them had never acted before like my some of my main characters had never acted i just said i want you to play this as you how would you respond like that? And I think anybody can act as themselves; they're just being themselves. Exactly. Although, when you put if they have if they don't have any, you know, inhibitions or whatever, if they're not shy in front of the camera, if they have personality, it's like just be who you are; you will be fine. And I feel like as a director, I can get the best out of out of my actors too. Just just be you, and um, and it works well that way.
0: Uh, you know. It's another thing I thought of. If somebody came up to me, like you just said, and say, "Okay, we want you to play this role," the only thing I would tell them, please make it be as much like myself as possible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you would, and you would probably win an Oscar. What <laughs> Oscar is? It's, All right. I mean, but
0: it, think about it. Yeah, it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Now, uh-huh. you know, how did you get that tragic news that T Dog was going to die? How did they tell you?
1: I was I was in my I was in my trailer, if I recall correctly, when I first got the call that I ignored uh, because mm-hmm. Glimmer Mazzara, Mazzara called me. He was the showrunner at the time, and we started playing phone tag. He called. I listened to the message, and he was like, "Irony, I I need to talk to you." It was slightly somber. It was kind of somber, like that. And as an actor, you know, we're trained to, to read tone and so many things you just have to, you know, you listen for. Yeah. But as human beings, we can do that. If we have a high level of discernment, you can kind of pick up on people's okay. tones if they're in a good mood, if they're in a bad mood, whatever it is. Read between and the so,
0: lines. What's, what's that? It's like reading between the lines of what's yes. being said to you. Yeah.
1: Yes, exactly. That's what it is. So he was subtexting subconsciously. That's what it is. Reading between the lines is kind of like subtexting. He subtexted to me that it's time for T-Dog to be eliminated from the show. (laughs) So you and I I teach my actors, you can say so many things without saying it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I heard him and he said, "Uh, give me a call when you get this message. And I probably called him when I knew he was busy on the set or something. I think I was probably like, okay, Glenn is okay. He's he's busy right now. Let me call. Uh, Glenn. Hey, whatever. <laughs> I don't know, but I avoided him. I avoided Glenn for about two weeks. I guess I don't know. And finally, we finally he finally caught up with me. He was like, "You've been fantastic on the show. Um, you've done a wonderful job with T Dog, and we're you know, but it's time to say goodbye to T Dog." Like, how did you take the news? Bittersweet i had uh been but more sweet than bitter i had been a part of the biggest uh television show in basic cable history at that Mm. time i don't know what it is now. it's
0: it's still walking dead is pushing new frontiers with every episode man it's still breaking all the rules
1: i'm so proud of everybody oh my goodness so i had been a part of that and not only that i was I was a part of it from the beginning and I got the opportunity to meet so many beautiful people within the cast, within the crew, within around the world, all of these beautiful fans to share this energy with all this love going to all of these different conventions. And it was just so awesome to have been a part of it. That's why I said sweeter than bitter, bitter because I'm leaving family behind like my second family in a sense and all those great memories all those hugs and handshakes and kisses would no longer um happen
0: yeah yeah so yeah, I get it, man. sweet, I totally get yeah. that. Uh, I should uh, say
1: sweet bitter though, then sweet
0: bitter, sweet bitter, sweet you know, bitter, 90% sweet. sweet, 10% bitter. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, are you satisfied with the uh character arc the writers gave T Dog, or do you think they could have gone a level up, a level higher?
1: Um, I think that with any character, I think you just like an actor when you audition or you, you play a character on TV, you feel like Oh, I could have done more or even watching myself. Some actors don't watch themselves like, oh, I should have done this. I could have done that to make it better. So you always think that there's more to do. There's always more to add. But I'm not disappointed at all because like like I said, I had the time of my life. That was the the best project that I've
0: ever been a part of. Do you uh, credit Blindside to leading you to The Walking Dead?
1: Yes. so you would say
0: blindside was your big break Uh, i mean that was great i mean i love that scene with sandra bullock you know just comes up to you and just you know puts you in your place (laughs) how was it working with sandra bullock on that scene sandy is beautiful she's a beautiful soul she's a
1: beautiful human being yeah i love sandra bullock um She just radiates positivity. You know, she radiates goodness. Um, What I, you know, I would, it would be great if all actors, if everybody in the industry
0: were like Sandy, then yeah, the industry would be just even better, Uh, top notch. She sounds amazing. Now, since t Dog was not in the comics, did you have any kind of input? Because, you know, it does sort of match your backstory of his backstory of living in the projects, and mm-hmm. you know, T Dog got like an academic scholarship, majoring in speech communications. Did they ask you for your backstory in real life? Did they kind of play that in? How did that work out? Yeah, that. Well, that's my story. So yeah. I just kind of created. You know, I just created that
1: for for my for my character. Um, what I teach, what I teach in my acting class, I say, you know, use whatever you can uh, in your real life. If you know, if it's if it's possible, if it makes sense, if it's realistic enough, um use what you can and just kind of um, you know plaster that onto to the characters that you play. because again, it goes back to the writing. Like if you can uh, have a character that's close to who you are, then you can give your best performance.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: you give your best performance like that. So my story, I generally, if I'm able to, I that's my story. Is like he grew up in this environment. Um, He has this background as a football player. Um, You know, he was, and so I take a lot of that stuff with every kid. And then you don't have to do too much homework either, viz. So I learned to cheat. cheat because. You have to create a story, a life for your character. And if I start from scratch every single time, that's too much homework and I'm too busy playing other roles and things for me to do that. Yeah. But you have to create a whole life all the way down to what type of toothpaste does your character use? And people, it's that intricate. When you're creating a character, you have to, what kind of, you know, is 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 he vegan wow. or is he a carnivore?
0: I mean, it is that, like, you guys really just roll that deep into it to make it real and authentic.
1: That is what adds complexity. That is what adds layers to your character. That is what makes your character more human-like. The more
0: human-like, the more realistic it is. And you know, coming from a viewer standpoint, I'm not an actor. The viewer, the fan, we take that for granted because the characters, as us viewers, that touch us the most... Well, they're like, well, why do you like this character so much? And nine out of ten times, we can't find a word for it. It's an emotion. It's an emotion that struck right here that resonates with us, and we can't put that into words. Well, damn, why did you like T-Dog so much? Because, man, T-Dog just, he just made me feel something. You know what I'm saying? I can't answer <laughs> it. I can't put it into words, but yeah. he just made me feel something. Like, you oh. know, I, I feel him. Wow, Wow, I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Um, well, you did brilliant. Now, you know,
1: <laughs> I think it's a matter of doing the homework, and and that's the thing. It's like if you do your homework, then everything else will work itself out. And and that's what I teach my 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 actors, uh, my students. If you don't do the homework, it'll it'll show. You know, it's yeah. like that character has no layers to him. He's just not, or she's not real enough for me. But the more human like. Then the better the performance is.
0: Oh, that is so awesome. I want to move on to Stephen Yen, okay, who played Thanks. Glenn. Okay, uh, you guys uh, really played well when you had scenes off each other. Wh- how was your relationship with Stephen off the camera?
1: Oh, I love Steve. Oh, we, <laughs> I, um uh, before we shot, every time I'd say, um, um, Game time. And that's how I would get pumped up, because, like I said, I'm a former athlete. I was a football player. And that would just crack Steven up. Like uh, He'd be like, all right, irony. What, 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 what time is it? Game, Game time. time. What time is it? Game time. And then we go ahead and shoot our scene. So, um, we, you know, we got a lot of laughs from that. But then I got tighter with Steven just learning about his family um, coming up in Detroit and um, his humble beginnings his humble, very humble beginnings in the inner city of Detroit um, brought me closer to Stephen. But then I have, uh, you know, a story with everybody, every adult, not the kids, because they were too young to really yeah. able to tap into that type of stuff. But again, like I said, with me, Viz, I try to connect on this level. And when we connect on that level, that's when the bonds happen. So I did a lot of that, including with Stephen Young also.
0: Now, you know, obviously, whether you continued watching the show or not is irrelevant, that over the years, uh, only two people remain from your group that you started out with. Uh, Hearing about the death, I don't know if you watched it or not, but how did it make you feel like when Glenn, he died a very vicious death on the show? So when you heard or watched how uh, Stephen was going to be written off the show... What kind of emotions did that draw out of you as a fan or a viewer, or a friend of Steven? I,
1: I didn't watch it as much afterwards.
0: Oh that's that a, was, yeah That, that was, was a, a mighty blow
1: of his because and I, I know exactly where I was. It was like it like it was real life or something, but we were in Denver, Colorado, at a convention. And we were in a ballroom and we were all watching it together. And I was actually standing with Cutlass was in there with us. So, you know, Abraham. Oh, Cutlass has been on our show, too. Ah, Cutlass.
0: Is Mikey, awesome. my Michael is awesome, man. Michael is awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah he is, man. I love Cutlass. Uh, so we he was there with us watching the show. And uh, right before... I don't know who was bludgeon for, who who got bludgeon for, was it Stephen? Abraham. It was Kudlitz.
0: Abraham. Cudlets got it first.
1: Cudlets got it, yes. And then he walked out right before it happened, though. So uh-huh. I was like, uh-oh, what's what's about to happen? Oh, uh-huh. So he
0: didn't even tell you guys what was about to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, we knew. Yeah, we knew something was about to go down. But we thought that was it, Viz. We thought it was it Everybody Abraham. Everybody
0: did. Everybody did.
1: Right, we're like, okay, all right, man. We're like, right,
0: we Stephen made Abraham. it through. Glenn is going to survive because there was you, Glenn that died in the comics. You
1: would right,
0: you would think that he would survive right? Nope, they
1: hadn't done two. I don't think they had done two deaths by main characters. I guess since um Laura and and Dog, like the two deaths yeah. in that episode, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they
1: hadn't done two since that. I I, I don't think.
0: No, I don't think so. Been- I mean, Abraham and Glenn were huge. Right. And I mean huge.
1: Yeah. And it looks like I was I don't know. I didn't have any energy. It sucked. It's like it sucked some life out of me.
0: I watched that with I'll, my I'll, son. Okay, you were watching it on bar. Well, I didn't watch it live with my son. My son, who is now sixteen, started binge watching The Walking Dead when he was around fourteen. I, li- <laughs> I said, "Listen to him. When you get to this episode, I want to watch it with you. Not because I want to rewatch the episode, because I think you need your dad around when you're going to watch this episode. I approve." <laughs> I approve of you watching it at 15, okay? It's harsh, but I want to be there as your dad, okay? And when Abraham died, he took it hard. But when Glenn got the bat to the head, he just buried his head into, uh, into his hand and could not stop saying, no, 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 no. That's, That's how deep of an emotional level that scene affected everyone. On The yeah. Walking Dead, in the fan universe. So, I mean, just like you were in a bar watching it. I mean, like, we at the ball hotel, room. hotel
1: ballroom. Okay. It was like a com- conference room.
0: Okay, gotcha. It's like yeah. everybody can remember where they were when they watched that scene, and it, it was gut-wrenching.
1: Oh, my God. I, the, but, you know, it was like, okay, five or six thuds. That's fine, but like 50,000?
0: You kept going.
1: He, he wouldn't stop. And you're like, are you kidding
0: me? Yeah, it was brutal, man. It was brutal. It was brutal. No no other way to say it. Uh, you know, what was the most exciting scene for you to shoot on The Walking Dead?
1: <laughs> exciting. Wow. You know something? This season one, it would be tough for me to call it because we shot every episode near where I grew up. Uh-huh. So, while we're shooting, I'm telling Holden, Lori Holden, who um, played Andrea.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm like, Holden, I grew up like right there. Like, I could point to where I grew up. I grew up right there, like half a mile, a mile from here. So, and I'm downtown Atlanta where I spent a lot of my days and I was just in my city. So, I'm shooting this show and I even see people walking by that I knew. So it was so exciting. It was so cool. And I was like, man, just a few years ago, I was ducking and dodging bullets trying to stay alive in the hood, Uh like real life. Now, here I am in this show, you know, trying to stay alive, running from zombies or what have you. But it was so surreal to me because I was like, I saw I saw so much bloodshed on this land right here. I lost a lot of friends and family members and everything like that. And it's like, now I'm in a position to where, you know, I'll be able to make a difference so that, you know, we won't have all of that bloodshed. I'll have a platform that God will have given me the the platform that I desired in high school. When I said, I want to be an actor on the big screen, Uh so that I want to be an acclaimed actor so that I can affect lives positively. That is what I was talking about. So now I can go back, I can serve as that role model and speak truth and love into everybody I see and speak and just inspire and encourage because now they're more willing to hear me as an actor, as a celebrity. Um, So it was surreal to me. Any episode during season one, for sure.
0: It's it's hard. It's hard to pick a be- a favorite. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could totally yeah. get. I totally get it. And now uh, we're running almost out of time. But uh, can you tell us the backstory behind your professional name of Irony? Irony meaning that which is not expected. Because
1: Irony with the is that which is not expected. And again, it goes back to what I was telling you about. Uh, the pundit said that you know, statistically speaking, he won't make it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no chance of him surviving this. Like, look at what he's dealing with right now. Um, He definitely won't end up as an actor because my teacher told me, she said, when I wrote the paper, I didn't I didn't mention this part. She read the paper. She was like, OK, you want to be an acclaimed actor on the big screen? She said, mm, you should choose something more practical. And she was looking out for me. She was she called herself looking out for me because she had never seen anybody come through that environment to become you an, know, act, yeah. an actor. So she was trying to save me, I think. So I, I don't hold that against her. I said, okay. Um, I'd met my my father two times in my life, and one thing that he instilled in me was to always brush your teeth. He was like, so no matter what you do, son. He came and got me. It was like he had just gotten out of prison, <clears throat> and he took me to uh, his side of the family. I went to a family reunion and he had just stopped. We stopped at a a grocery store, a convenience store. He got me some junk food, but he also got me a toothbrush. He said, so always brush your teeth or whatever. And that stuck with me. So that was a powerful, that was powerful in my life, even though I had only seen him twice in my life. But that speaks to how powerful a father is in a child's life. That told me um, that a child really needs a father, and that which made me more determined to serve as that father figure for my kids and give them everything that I did not get.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um,
1: um, but, but yeah, so um, the teacher, I was talking about 11th grade, and so she wasn't trying to really hurt my feelings or anything like that, but that stuck with me. You know, I was like, I want to, I will, you know, I will be an actor. That never left my mindset. Um, and so... I I graduated from high school, went to college, studied theater or whatever. And I said, I need something to serve as an icebreaker. And irony was the name that I came up with. I went to L.A. I, right before I went to L.A. I said, I need something to serve as an icebreaker. I got to L.A. and they're like, what does irony mean? I said, well, you know, people said I wouldn't make it. They thought I wouldn't make it because of where I came up. So it was just an icebreaker. Start the conversation. And plus my focus, my mission is to. To, to, to put truth and love in the world. So that was a great icebreaker, a great start for
0: that. Oh, that's a great story, man. All right, I, I got it. We're, at it. we're almost out of time. You right. got a little bit of it, but I got asked this one question. I read an interview that you did in which Norman Reedus uh, made you gag during that famous Well Walker scene. <laughs> <laughs> he had you dry heaving. What the hell did he say to you? That made you dry heave.
1: <laughs> it was a combination of is because the morning we were we were at base camp, and we were on our way to set to shoot, and I was on the van first. I had my breakfast because I was, um, you know, I, I would eat late or whatever I was doing. So, but I had my my breakfast and I had some sausage links, and they were really ugly looking links. They weren't the best looking sausage links, and Rita's got on the van and he looked at it. He was like, what's that, poop? He was like, what's that, poop? And I was like, what? Are you serious? I mean, my breakfast. you're asking if this is poop. So we got to the set, and we were shooting like the Well walker scene. Yeah. And we were out, uh, you know, all this dirt. We were on top of all this dirt. And so we were kicking up a lot of dust. And Billy was the director of that episode. So I got a lot of dust caught in my throat as well. Um, and so every time we shot, I started gagging because I was thinking about the image that readers put in my head with the sausage links because I had eaten the sausage. Uh-huh. I had already eaten most of the sausage. And the the dirt, uh, the dust getting in my throat. So we started shooting and I was gagging like that. <laughs> Billy came over to me. and He was like, I love your choice with the gag. He said, but could you do it without the gag this time? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No, nah, Billy, I'm, I can't even help that.
0: That's that's great this dust." That's awesome, man. <laughs> anyway, we're out of time. Irony, you're a beautiful person, man. Um, uh, I feel privileged being able to talk to you. And guys, uh, irony on his website does also offer meet and greets. Okay, you want to thirty seconds a minute talk about that? About the meet and greets? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The meet and greets. No, we can do five. And I love you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for the shout outs and everything like that. But yeah, these are five minute meet and greets. If you want to talk to me about anything across the board. Whatever you want to talk about, you want to talk about the industry, ask me questions about it, about my life, personal. I have really no skeletons in my closet. I'm willing to talk about anything. I'm an open book, which literally, because I wrote my book, Blind Side of the Walking Dead, so I talk about a lot of stuff in there that would make people, you know, like, yeah, they'd be like, wow, um, he said that. So we can discuss anything you'd like to discuss and um, you could go to. I think you put it up there,
0: though. The website is right the website. there. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Ironysa.com. Oh. It's right I, below S-A. your name. S-A. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: uh, it's it's with the picture too. I think the the T Dog picture.
0: Yeah, let I me bring that, that back up as well. Uh, the T Dog picture, which is right uh, here. There we go. There the, it is. There it is. Yep. The meet and okay. greets, virtual Zoom one on one or group meet and greets with irony singleton as t-dog so guys take a take a snapshot of this on your phones if you're watching it or your computers and that's exactly uh where you can meet uh with irony singleton and uh, you know damn it's better than going to therapy man talking to you <laughs> i swear it is it is anyway we are out of time irony thank you so much for doing this man it's been awesome thank you to all our viewers for watching tonight i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did i'll be back on the air for episode like 106 and something tomorrow uh guys take care and until then from irony and me stay walking always, guys. Later.